Hi, welcome to Project Geospatial. I'm Adam Simmons for another episode here at the 2021 G1 Symposium here in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, here with me is, well, we're at the Google booth this time, and uh, Google has quite a bit to show, as you can see, with their massive wall. And Jeff, how about you introduce yourself, what we have going on here, and uh, well, let's talk about your experience here at the uh, symposium. Yeah, appreciate it, thank you. So my name is Jeff Spugnardi. I work at Google, and one thing uh, behind me in this giant geo wall today are some examples of Google Earth Engine. And Google Earth Engine is a higher-end analytical platform. If you remember Google Earth Enterprise, we open-sourced that tool about five years ago, and that was a good visualization tool. But Google Earth Engine is a web-based analytical tool where you can do some pretty high-end geo-analytics and, and geo-analysis. Some of the, our customers take planet imagery every other week and look at crop health, basically at, at nationwide scale. NGA has a group uh, using this tool for some unclassed analytics where they're looking uh, to see as China may say one thing and we see with imagery and how Google Earth Engine and see what uh, what's actually on ground truth. So where Google Earth Enterprise used to be on, we'll call it, you know, more thicker servers and uh, Earth client you know, people had to install, you move everything not just up in the kind of a web-based interface, but it's also within your, uh, your cloud, right? Yes, we basically take every publicly available piece of imagery that's ever existed and put that in Google Cloud and that's our back end. So a lot of IT projects often have some trouble getting off the ground because of the IT baggage that's in involved with standing up servers and OS's and VM's and all this plumbing that just seems to be a problem of yesteryear. So we try to take all that away and so you can get to Google Earth Engine from the web page and within minutes you're doing pretty cool analytics. So a lot of individuals know Google Earth Engine through uh, Google Earth for Good. I think uh, Rebecca Moore does a lot of those awesome project showcases and how Google Earth is exemplified a lot of the uh, humanitarian issues around the world. Um, how does Earth Engine apply to a community like this? Well, we have a lot of powered by uh, with Urchin. So Global Fishing Watch is uh, a, a, a global group that deals with overfishing and how some fishermen illegal fish, illegally fish. Uh, and so that's a powered by Google Earth Engine. So we have some nonprofits like Global Fishing Watch. There are some other nonprofits like Global Climate who use this, uh, where Google Earth Engine is powering everything and they're using some analytics through us to come up with their own narrative, uh, oftentimes in a nonprofit manner. Excellent. So let's, let's let's go through some of these examples. All right. So I think uh, the an interesting one could be the tear line that NGA published recently. And, and briefly, when you say tear line, what is the tear line? So there is a group uh, within the government that creates unclassified reports, tearline.mil, and NGA partners with academia to create some pretty interesting reports. Uh, and this specific report was released a couple weeks ago with NGA at Columbia University. And the premise of it is China wants to be uh, carbon neutral by 2060, but they just can't seem to stop building coal-fired plants. And we have a pretty interesting use case of using Google Earth Engine to show the change detection around some of their power plants. Awesome. Uh, so you, you, this is an unclassified report. Anybody can read to it. It's built based off of or built upon your entire infrastructure here, right? Yes. Uh, and uh, so. Tell me a little bit more about what's going on. All right, well sometimes uh, what you'll want to see, the, the great part about Google, you, you can be uh, uh, using JavaScript to do some pretty powerful things. And so luckily NGA put this screenshot in 
to help out with this is exactly what they did, how they're going to filter metadata and, and run some other technical components with SAR. Uh, and then a lot of times geo reports, we may look at pixels, but sometimes whether it's a crop analytic tool or, or a, emissions from a smokestack, graphs are, are pretty key. So this was a Sentinel-1 backscatter uh, with uh, some radar activity over time. And then as Nick scrolls down, uh, we can see um, where, where, where this was built. And then uh, getting a little bit down for, this is the power station that uh, just seems to grow and grow, uh, which may be a way to carbon neutral somehow, but that's probably not my role. So this is also an example of not uh, just NGA using their imagery to create these reports, but also built off of, because things like Sentinel-1, that's within the Earth Engine database that yes. anybody can take advantage yes. of. Uh, so uh, you're hosting a wide variety of publicly available data sets, right? I think we try to host every publicly available data set and put them all in one place and make it ortho and make it geo and then make it temporal so it's just easy to do time-lapse analysis and other higher-end things that are a little heavy lifting. So, and that's an excellent thing for academia or anybody to realize is, because a lot of folks struggle with, hey, I'm doing these research projects uh, or, or uh, I'm trying to understand imagery um, and they don't know where to go. You've actually aggregated all this together so it's easy for them to find, do machine learning projects and, uh, and, and, and all in one place, right? Yes, that was the whole goal of this. How can we do geo for good and how can we make things easy to do and, and not, not have so much technical weight on a project and if the goal is let's solve, try to solve some climate issues or some overfishing issues or verification issues, why don't we make it like the hard part is the analysis and we shouldn't have the hard part on IT. So what else we got? We also have a pretty interesting thing in the upper right that can show uh, some ML on computer vision with uh, when a, an incident happens, whether that's a, a wildfire or a flood or a battle damage assessment, how can we quickly use at scale uh, machine learning tools like computer vision to look at this is what a image classifier of a house looks like or an industrial complex or a commercial building. And then this is a partially damaged building through fire. This is a building that has been flooded. This is a building that's lost half its roof. And then just train and test on those incidents like um, after a fire. So we have before imagery and then after, and then we can quickly say, these areas have been damaged and we don't need to write one line of code and we don't have analysts spending time pouring over imagery pre and post. So what are we looking at here exactly? Well, as this caches, this is going to be, uh, I think in our upper right, we have uh, a Santa Rosa fire from a couple years ago. So we assessed uh, 171 square kilometers. Uh, excuse us while this caches, we're using conference level internet and it's not the fastest uh, here but what what would happen when all of the dots appear are pre and post and we have a slider bar over time and this is uh, on, you, you can look at what happened before the wildfire and what happened after so it says a hundred and four thousand buildings assessed is that do you have an algorithm that detects what these buildings were what these buildings are or were these hand-picked out of the imagery no this is all all done in an automated manner using Google Cloud ML tools on the back end and we created a uh, some image classifiers at, uh, on buildings and 
uh, infrastructure and then trained that model and then just kept testing it iteratively using Google on the back end. So it's obviously really, really good, but I've, in truth in machine learning, it's, it's, it's not completely perfect, as you can see, but it does a really awesome job. The point, though, is you've identified the infrastructure and you can give people quick indications of where things were and where things really aren't anymore. Yes, right? yes. Uh, this, uh, this normally would look, uh, the, the uh, image classifiers aren't caching well. But yes, uh, they're 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 coming. It's just loading. no, no. It's good. So obviously, we can see here uh, uh, this entire neighborhood got wiped right. up. But this uh, fortunate, uh, well-off individual with this massive house on the hill looks like uh, he survived. Yes. So. <laughs> well, great. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to relay to our audience about what Google Earth is doing with the geospatial industry here at a conference like this? Yeah, we're just uh, very happy to be back and working with the GeoInt community. We have a, a great tool that next week we're coming out with some huge announcements on Google Earth Engine. Exciting. And uh, we're looking forward to talking about that in more detail next week. We look forward to covering that as well. All right, so, great. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. All right, thank you. Uh, and, and your colleague here, Nick. Uh, Nick. Nick. Um, and uh, thanks everybody for joining us for covering Google here at the G121 2021 Symposium here in St. Louis. Thank you.